If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm chapter 32. We're going to finish that uh, this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a couple back there on that back pew. You can go get one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that. That's your gift. I hope you own a Bible. Um, there they are. Tyler just set them right there. Had you stolen those Bibles? Yeah, yeah. So Psalm 32, open your Bibles there, please. Um, and we're also going to be, you may uh, just uh, stick your finger in it over in Psalm 81. We'll also reference that as well. And so uh, last week we started Psalm 32, and we got through the first uh, five verses. And we're going to finish up uh, the rest of it today. We'll go through verse 11. And I'll, let me read the, the first five verses real quick. So we can get a really quick recap, okay? So I'm reading out of the NIV, uh, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And so last week was about deceit. You know, deceit is this idea of hiding behind things, trying to cover up who we really are. And we reference very quickly, you remember we referenced Genesis chapter 2, that from the, from the get-go, uh, you remember when sin entered the world, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did? What did they do? They covered up. They hid. And it's, it's interesting because the, it, the Bible is very specific. It says that they, they made these coverings to hide their shame and to hide their guilt, and they made it out of fig leaves, Okay. A fig leaf is about as big as the size of my hand. Okay, so think about this for a second. You, you see the pictures a lot that you, uh, it's like an, ele- you know an elephant ear leaf? That they're like, they're like this big. A lot of times it's the picture and we have this image that they were, oh, I feel shameful. And they just, they like grabbed a leaf and covered up, you know, and uh, Eve grabbed two to cover her top and bottom. But the reality is the leaves were about as big as my hand. So think about this for a second. Did they cover themselves with one leaf? Probably not. Probably what they had to do is they had to fashion together some sort of swimsuit-ish thing. I don't know what it was, right? But the point is, is they had to put a lot of effort and a lot of work into cover up their guilt and shame. And then God comes along. Remember, they're hiding from the Lord. And God comes along. He says, where are you? Which is always interesting. Anytime God asks a question in Scripture, take special note of that. Because he's not asking for his benefit. Because he already knows the answer. But he comes along and he says, where are you? And they said, hey, we heard you and we were ashamed and we, when we were afraid and we hid. And remember what God did. He looked, at their, he looked at their efforts to cover up their shame. He looked at their efforts to cover themselves up. And what did he do? He said, that's not going to cut it. And it said that the Lord went and he brought back what? Garments of skin. Okay. Now think about this. Where did he get skin? There wasn't a shop that he went and said, I'm going to purchase some I don't know, whatever, skin. Think about this. God had to go, how do you get skin? He had to go and kill something, right? He looked at their efforts and he said, this doesn't cover up shame and guilt. He says, no, it takes the blood of something to cover up shame and guilt, right? And also notice what a great picture of the cross as well. God did not say, this is very important. God did not look at Adam and Eve and say, hey, you guys go, go cover up with, with some skin and then come back. No. What did he do? He went and he provided what they needed. 
and he brought it to them, and all they had to do was accept it, right? You can see images of the cross even, even back then. But I'm telling you, man, uh, the reason we reference that is because Adam and Eve find themselves covered in guilt and shame, and their solution is to hide and to hide behind their own efforts, and bam! The, the system has been set for the next 5, 10, 20,000 years, however long this goes on. That's the way we do things. That's human nature. I feel guilt. I feel shame. What do I do? I've got to cover up. I've got to hide. And so that's why I love this psalm because in verse 2, David's saying, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is what? No deceit. And so there's no hiding from who we truly are. Verse 3, we said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. We're in East Texas. It's August. We don't need to interpret that, right? As in the heat of summer. Uh, verse 5, then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the, what's the word? Guilt of my Sin. And so we have an image here of a man who's completely forgiven, yet still is struggling with what? Guilt of his sin. And so last week we talked about and kind of concluded that God's idea was that we live in community and that we actually walk through life uh, openly talking and confessing to one another so that we can have forgiveness. Um, I'm sorry, not forgiveness. So we can have freedom from guilt and from shame, Right. And so uh, something we said and kind of summarized everything was forgiveness is found on the cross. Healing is found in his church. Okay. There's no such thing as a healthy, um, isolated Christian. It doesn't happen. That's nowhere in scripture. You'll probably get tired of me saying this stupid joke, but just laugh anyways. You're going to find in, in the Bible, you'll find a healthy, mature, isolated Christian in the same chapter you find Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. Okay, it's thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it's not there. There's no such thing as a, as a believer that's isolated from the body who's still walking in fellowship and who's still walking in um, freedom. Okay, this is not a question of forgiveness. This is a question of just freedom from guilt and shame. And so that's where we went uh, last week. That was kind of a summary. Uh, for me, this is such an important topic, this idea of guilt and shame. Uh, personally, because I struggle with guilt. Oh my, my gosh, I struggle with guilt. Um, some, some of them are things that I've done in the past. Um, and sometimes I even struggle with the fear and the guilt of disappointing people. Not that I've disappointed. Did you see? Like, that's how bad it is. I struggle with the idea of disappointing people, you know? Um, and then, of course, there's things I've done in the past um, that, that there's constant reminders of, of the stupid things I've done and the mistakes I made. And so this is such a powerful um, topic for me because um, it's very personal. And, and guilt, golly, guilt and manipulation are so powerful. Unbelievably powerful, you know? I can, get, I can almost get anyone to do anything I want. How? I can guilt them and I can manipulate them, Right? And so some of y'all, <clears throat> you might even be able to speak to this. 
if you if you were this is very personal, so you don't have to raise your hand. Some of y'all may have been raised in a home that was a home of guilt and manipulation, right? Some of y'all that's how your parents raised you. Some of y'all maybe right now that's how your relationship was is with your spouse. Is that if I can manipulate you to get what I want, uh, then I'm happy. Maybe that's the way you are with your friends, parents. Maybe that's the way it is at work. But I promise you, I promise you, if if you walk into a home that guilt and manipulation is used for behavior modification, in that home there is not the smell of life. There's a smell of death. There is a spiritual smell. When you walk into a house, you can say, this is not a place of grace. This is a place of guilt and manipulation. And it is powerful. And it gets results, but it, it's empty. And there's no life in it. Right? And so that's why I love this psalm so much, because it addresses guilt. Okay, so let's pick up in verse 6. This is where uh, we'll start today. So verse 6, verses 6 and 7, I gave a quick outline last week. If you look at 6 and 7, this is where uh, David, he's going to speak on a promise of protection, okay, that the Lord protects us. And then verses 8 through 11 he shifts gears a little bit and he moves into a promise of direction. Okay? So 6 and 7, are he's going to illustrate how the Lord has protected us and how He's cared for us. But then 8 through 11, he moves into how does God counsel us. Okay? Care and counsel. Right? And so start in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, Therefore... Uh, when you study your Bible, anytime it says therefore, ask why, what's it there for? Okay? It's a stupid, silly saying, but it's a good rule. Therefore, <clears throat> let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And then at the end of verse 7, it has that word Selah. Does everyone's Bible say that where it says Selah? Okay. Anytime you see Selah, that's just a term. uh, You'll find it in the Psalms. We're not 100% sure what it means, but what it meant was it was a musical term because this was meant to be sung. It was a term that said pause. And the idea is that you pause and you reflect on what was just said. Okay, so anytime you see a Salah, stop and say, hold on, what just happened? Because the, the Holy Spirit's telling us something big was just communicated. And he, I love that he gives us instructions. Hey, stop and think about what I just said. Don't just roll on real fast. Okay, so Selah. He says, let's think about this. Now, this is very interesting. Verse 6, uh, let everyone who is godly pray to you. Look at this. This is strange. While you may be found okay that's a little uh, that's different right it's this uh, at first you may look at that and say well God may be found and it kind of leaves you puzzled right is God like hiding from us you know is it like you know the phrase like I found Jesus no you didn't Jesus isn't lost guys okay he knows where he is we know where he is there's no there's no us finding God he's not lost what this is is this is not um, this is not a reflection of uh, the Lord to us, but it's more of a reflection of the way we interact with God. 
Okay? While you may be found. I don't know if you remember when we first started this morning, and it's a prayer I pray a lot, is I pray this. I say, God, we don't pray for you to speak to us. Why is that? Because he, he has and He is. Right? And then I say this. I say, God, I pray not that you would speak, but what? That we would listen. Right? And then the same thing, I pray this prayer a lot. I don't, God, I don't pray that you're here. You hear that a lot too. Lord, please be here with us. <laughs> why, why don't I pray that? Because he is here, right? The, and this is my prayer. I say, God, I pray that we would be aware of your presence, right? And so even like in that prayer that I pray a lot, this is very similar to what David's praying here as well. David is not praying God, please be here. Please speak to me. He's praying this. He's saying, God, please help me to be aware of your presence. And Lord, p- p- please help me to listen to you. That's what he's talking about. While you may be found. It describes our situation more than it describes the Lord. Okay? It describes uh, this window of opportunity uh, that there are certain circumstances that would prompt us to repentance. And over time... Um, if we ignore the Lord, do you know what happens? We kind of become calloused to it. Our hearts become hardened, right? And so this is a prayer. This is such a good prayer. He's praying, God, I pray for me. God, help me to be responsive while you may still be found. Um, my hands probably look very different than yours, okay? I think everybody in here knows I work with my hands, okay? I'm swinging a hammer a lot. I'm moving lumber, um, I got some broken fingers, right? And, the, and, and even on the tips of my fingers, I, I, I play guitar here. And so if we were to examine my hands uh, versus some of y'all's hands, what you'd notice on my hands is all along here, what, what can you guess I have right here? I have calluses, right? Same thing on my left hand for guitar. I've developed calluses over time. Okay, now here's the thing about calluses. They're, they're actually they're, they're the body's natural response, right? I didn't decide this, right? The way a callus works, our body's natural response against something is there's something that, that it's kind of a little, it bothers us, right? And, it, and it's rubbing us the wrong way. And it's, it's pushing us to change, right? It's, there's this thing that's rubbing us. Maybe you have blisters on your feet. There's this thing that's rubbing us and our body says, hey, we need to change what's going on here, Right? Um, again, on my feet, I have big calluses. Some of y'all, like, you have calluses on your heels, and y'all, like, scrape those off. Some of y'all ladies will spend, like, all this money and time, right? And you, you grind them off. Why do you do that? That's your body protecting itself, right? And stupid image, but a great image of a spiritual truth is that this is what happens, and this is what David is praying, um, praying against, is that there are these times that the Lord is speaking to us. Right? And of course, He always speaks love to us. He always speaks grace to us. He always speaks forgiveness. But there's also times when He whispers, hey, you're, you're really damaging your marriage here. Hey, you're, the way you deal with the people you work with. You know? Hey, your view of yourself. And he, He's speaking us towards repentance. This is what the Holy Spirit does as He whispers us towards repentance. Right? And He's urging us to change the way that we're doing something, even ever so slightly, right? And our natural response, what happens if we ignore it over time? If God's whispering to us and we say, no, no, no. What happens to our heart? The same thing that happens to my hands is over time I develop 
a natural callous against the Lord. And it gets to where it's less and less effective. That's this when he says, while you may be found. This is what he's talking about here. Okay, So uh, let's look at this. Uh, This is elsewhere too. Look in Psalm 81 real quick. Flip to the right in case you don't believe me. This is one example. You can find this in Romans. You can find this in Ephesians. Uh, This is one example I picked out. I just like it. Psalm 81 verse 8. It says, Hear, O my people, and I will... What's the words right there? I will warn you. So this is a warning. It's the same thing as the other psalm we're reading. If you would but listen to me, O Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not bow down to an alien god. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. So it's a great promise. Verse 11, what's the first word? But. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So this is an example that the Lord speaking truth to them. And what were they doing? They were saying no, 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 no. Verse 12. So, look at this. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. This is uh, the, the wrath of God. We don't talk about the wrath of God very much. The wrath of God, biblically speaking, is not Him shooting down lightning bolts. Um, it's not a financial crash. The wrath of God over and over in Scripture is when we say, I want this thing, I want this thing, I want this thing, and He's whispering to us, Hey, that, that's not good for you. That's going to hurt you. This is not good. And we, we like, a, like a child having a temper tantrum, we say, I want it, I want it. And the wrath of God is when He looks at us and says, okay. He says, if that's the thing you want, He says, here, you can have it. And, and I love even in Psalm 81, it says, He gives them and gives us over to our stubborn hearts, Right? is that we, ha- we can develop these hearts that become stubborn to the truth of the Lord. Right? This is the wrath of God. So, uh, flip back in Psalm 32. We'll finish up there. And again, you can read about this in Romans chapter 1. It says the Lord gave them over uh, to their stubborn hearts. Read about it in Ephesians as well. But we don't have time right now. Okay, so Psalm 32, um, verse 7 this says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And then it has that Selah. Okay, so I want to contrast verse 7. Notice it says this. Uh, verse 7 says, you, Lord, you are my hiding place. Right? In verse 2, he talks about uh, living a life where there's no deceit. And so I like, I like comparing and contrasting these. Because notice, one of them is when we're living a life of deceit, is when we're hiding from the Lord, we're hiding behind our things. Notice the the emphasis on the words hiding from. And then verse 7, he says, no, you are my hiding place. So it's, I love this, it's a great contrast of we're either hiding from the Lord or we're hiding in the Lord. Okay? Um, This is such a cool illustration. 
you, you might learn something here, and it might save your life, literally. Okay, so I want you to picture. Look at look at our room here. I want you to imagine that this room is huge. Like imagine it's like I don't know, ten miles by ten miles, right? And it's a huge just wilderness. Okay, uh, imagine it's extremely dry. Imagine that you are right here in the middle of it. You're right there, and you're all, you're by yourself. Now imagine over here on my right side, your left. Imagine there's this forest fire, okay, and it is raging and it's out of control. And imagine this forest fire. Remember, it's still miles away. Is heading this direction, okay, and soon enough, it's going to be on top of you. Now the thing about a forest fire, if the wind is right, if the conditions are right, you cannot outrun it. You think you can, you can't. Um, and another thing is, is you can't. Sometimes you can't even duck and cover in like a creek bed because you'll suffocate because it uses up all the oxygen. So if, if you stay right here, you're a goner. Can we all agree on that? Okay. So what do you do? That's the question. What do you do? How, you cannot run it. There's, there's no other help. Uh, there's people around you. They're trying to fix things that, you know, some people are saying, well, let's just outrun it. Some people are saying, no, let's, I don't know, let's run at it and jump over it. Some people are... Are, are just doing nothing, right? What do you do? This is something that actually might save your life. If Remember, it's moving this direction. If the wind is moving this way, what you do, the only way to survive this, this coming fire is to start what's called an escape fire. What you do, if you're right here in the middle of, of that huge area, is you take out a match and you start a fire. Okay? And this fire as the wind carries it, blows this direction. And as this area is burned, you stand, this is, this is some deep theology by the way, the safest place is to stand where the fire has already been. Okay, That's called an escape fire. And then when this fire comes across, it, it won't even touch you. Okay, What a great image, first of all, of the cross of Jesus, Okay, is that we stand, Christians stand, in where the fire has already been. The wrath of God has been satisfied uh, with Jesus Christ on the cross. He's our escape fire. And, and even the psalmist says this. He says, where, where do we hide? Can we hide from this fire? You can't do it. What do we do? We need to hide in the fire. So we start this thing called this escape fire, and that's the safest place. Is right there in the will of God. Do you see that? Even not only on the cross, but even in our day to day, the safest place is exactly where God has put you. And God's going to put you in some crazy spots. You know? Have you ever thought, you know, Daniel in the lion's den? Everybody knows that story. How crazy is it that God, that God communicates, hey, Daniel, I'm going to keep you completely safe? Where, God? Where did he send him? I'm going to put you in a cave with hungry lions. Does that make any sense at all? Not, but, but he's in the will of God, and it seems like this is absolutely deadly. It seems like th this has nothing but a bad outcome. The safest place was right in there. How crazy is that, right? And this is how the Lord works. Sometimes his will, he's going to call you to do things that other people look at and they say, mm-mm, can't do it, you know? Uh, Kinsey and I have experienced that just even with my with my job he's called us to do things that I said hold on you want me to do what and God says this is what I want you to do whenever we left 
church work five years ago. I can still remember. Left it 100%. And at the time, I had one job lined up to tile someone's closet, and it paid $250, including material. I made about 180 bucks. That was my plan, right? That was the safest place I could be. It was right in the middle of God's will. Okay? I, I had a financial plan for five days, and it didn't even take me five days. It was about a three-day job, right? But the, we feel like God said, Russell, I want you to do this. And we said, well, I can't tell you what we said because I have to keep it edited. But we were like, what? Are you kidding me? You want me to leave this good job where people love me and where I'm fairly respected and, and, and we're com- we have insurance and, and, and you want me to go do this stuff over here? And God said, yep. And he says, but that's the safest place you're going to be is dead center in the middle of my will. And I even had people try to talk me out of it. They'd say, you shouldn't be doing this. This is a red flag. Don't do it. But we did it. And I'm telling you, it's, I've done it five years full time now. And God's provided. The Lord's provided. Sometimes miraculously. Right? It's incredible. Uh, but don't let the world tell you what, or define safety for you. God's going to call you to do some things that you say, this doesn't make any sense but but the way god works he says that's the safest place to be is right in my will hide in me don't hide from me hide in uh, me Uh, okay go on to verse eight i gotta go faster i'm sorry um so verses eight through eleven this is where it uh, the psalmist changes ideas and now he's going to talk about his promise of direction that the Lord is going to give us direction okay we've just talked about him protecting us now let's talk about direction and I'm going to do something a little bit weird skip verse 8 for now and let's start in verse 9 we'll go back to verse 8 okay so start in verse 9 so he's he's saying something in the negative he says do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, I like this because it's such a clear illustration. He says, I don't want you to be like a horse. I don't want you to be like a mule. Why does he not want you to be like that? Look, it says what? They have no understanding. I'm not a rancher. I'm comfortable on a horse. I am. Um, But I, I don't know a ton about them. I, know, I always like going horseback riding if they let you run the horses. I don't want to go horseback riding and walk on a horse for an hour. That's uncomfortable, okay? Um, it, I like to go run them. You know, have fun with them. Um, but there was one time, Kinsey and I went up to Arkansas. It was just the two of us. And, and uh, we, we said, hey, let's go horseback riding. And we're like, okay, cool. And the thing about horses, is they're, they're, they're pretty s- smart. They're not geniuses. Let's not give them too much credit here, okay? He's not doing my taxes for me, so everyone just chill out. Uh, they're they're kind of smart, um, but even the Bible says they don't have understanding. And the thing about a horse is one that's well trained is a, a trainer will teach them different commands, you know. And, and so sometimes even um, uh, like a guy will teach for a horse. Sometimes they'll teach them that that means to back up, you know. Um, and sometimes they'll give them they'll they'll teach this horse vocal commands, right? And so I was aware of that. And so whenever we get our horses and we saddle up and get on them. The guy who's in charge of all the horses, I looked at him and I said, hey, um, and I remember I said it exactly like this. I said, how do you make it go? And I pointed to it. 
because I was thinking he was going to tell me, oh, well, this is Butterbean. Let me tell you what Butterbean likes to do, you know. But he all, this is the entire direction he gave me. He goes, you kick it. And that was it. And I was like, I like this guy, right? And so th- that was the entire instruction. How do I make this horse do what I want it to do? How do I do it? I kick it. Notice, he didn't say, well, first you need to gain his trust. First you need to look him in the eyes and say, Butterbean, listen, I want you to understand what we're doing here. I'm up here with my wife and we're on a nice vacation. Butterbean, we want to go down this trail, but I don't just want to walk down the trail. Sometimes I want to run down the trail. Butterbean, are you listening? Butterbean, pay attention, right? I, I didn't do that. What do I do? I kick it, right? And so I, I love this because this is something that, man, this, let this sink in, guys. Because I, I think we think otherwise. I think we think that the Lord is going to kick us into submission. I think we, we're waiting for Him to force our hand to do something. And that's not the way God works. He clearly says, I mean, th- this is, this, this is, I mean, hear the emotion in this. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which they don't have understanding. They're stupid. They're stubborn, but they must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Here's what God wants to do. Go back to verse 8. I did it backwards and that's okay. This is what the Lord wants to do. I will, what's that word? Instruct you. And what's that word? Teach you in the way you should go. Look, Look here. I will, what's that word? counsel you and watch over you. With Butterbean, I didn't instruct him. I didn't teach him. I didn't counsel him. What did I do? I kicked him. And then I pulled the reins and he went where I made him go. So again, this is, man, this is, this is an illustration of how the Lord wants to be with His people. He doesn't want to kick us around. He doesn't want to force us. Ooh, excuse me. But how do we get to that point, right? Well, he's already warned us. He said, please, guys, please don't let your hearts become hardened. He said, please don't develop calluses in areas that I speak correction, that I speak truth. Please don't do that. That's not what God wants. He's not, he, he, he will not force his hand um, on us. Um, okay, let's... Uh, Look at verse 10. He said, But many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in Him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. I like the last three words, upright in heart. That describes a man who is hiding in the Lord. That does, that does not describe a man who's hiding from the Lord, right? This psalm starts with, uh, he describes a guy who, in whose spirit is no deceit. When you live in deceit, when you live in guilt, when you live in shame, when you live in condemnation, your heart is not upright. How is your heart? If I'm walking around with guilt, what do I do? Remember, it's the same thing we said last week. Why? How? I would say 99 people out of 100, if I looked them in the eye and gave them a compliment, 
publicly, what do they do? One, they can't look you, look you in the eye. And, and two, start looking for this. It's kind of eerie. It shows the state of our hearts. Two, if you really try to compliment someone in public, they look away. Or they look down. Why is that? Because I think we, we all struggle with guilt and shame, right? Or they'll put themselves down publicly. It's something I'm, I'm personally trying to work on. That when someone, because again, I say this is something I struggle with. I'm almost, almost 100% of the time, someone says, hey, Russell, you did this well, or you're good at this, or so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. My instant reaction is this. Well, I mean, you know, I really screwed up here, though. I will almost always point out what's wrong. Why is that? Why, why can't I just look at someone and say, thank you? So that's something, and I'm asking you guys, you can hold me accountable to that. If you ever, if you ever say, hey, Russ, good job at this, don't let me put myself down. And I won't let you put yourself down either. Right? This is what it means to be upright in heart. We're not arrogant. We don't walk around with arrogance. We're not boastful. But it's when someone speaks truth to us, we say, thank you. Thank you. You know, because we're not clouded with guilt or manipulation that we're walking in grace and we're walking in uh, freedom. Um, and so I, I love the way he, he closes this psalm um, that way. So here's... Um, I'm going to give you two questions. We'll call it homework. Um, a lot of you guys are in like community groups. These are great questions to, to review in your small group, in your community group. Um, and so here's two questions. Number one, if, if Jesus came to you tonight in a dream or a vision or, or, or whatever, or I don't know, if he text messaged you, if he FaceTimed you, if it was unquestionably coming from the Lord, if he asked you this question, I want you to have an answer for it, or I want you to pray for it. Uh, Lord, where have I become calloused, or where have I become unresponsive? Right? Um, this is such a good question to search our hearts. God, search my heart. In what areas have I hardened my heart to where I no longer hear you? Right? Um, you know, with even in certain sin areas that it, at first. Uh, I think we've all been down this path. Maybe you do something you can't believe you've done, and at first it startles you. And you, you find yourself thinking, I can't believe I did that. And then you do it again, and what happens the second time you do it? It's not, not as scary, right? It, it, and and it, it doesn't frighten you as much, and you, you become a little accustomed to it. And then maybe you continue doing that thing or that self-destructive behavior, and then, and then you, you're no longer accustomed to it. Then what happens? Then you become comfortable with it, right? And then you continue doing it, and then it becomes almost like a stronghold in your life. And we can, uh, believers, and these are people that are 100% saved, it's possible for us to be, to be walking in disobedience, and we find comfort in our self-destructive behaviors, right? That's psychology 101, is that we can find a peace and a comfort. It's a false comfort in these things that are also destroying us at the same time, Right? The, the obvious ones, sex, drugs, rock and roll, obviously, you know, but, but even, even, I mention this a lot, even perfectionism, even uh, self-hate, right? Um, even comparing ourselves to others, even materialism, even the way we handle our money is that we can do things that are destructive and over time when we become callous, we actually find comfort in those things. And it's a false 
comfort. And so that's the first question. The second question is, Lord, what is your vision for me? God, what's your vision for my family? God, what's your vision for this church? God, what's your vision for this vocation you have me at? God, what's your vision for this, the, the money that you have entrusted me with? God what's, your, God, what's your vision for the time on earth you've entrusted me with? Right? We have to be people of vision. Um, when I saddled up with old Butterbean, <laughs> uh, you know what I didn't discuss with the horse? I didn't discuss vision with him. Why? Because he's a stubborn, stupid animal. Does Butterbean care where we're going? No, he really doesn't. He wants to get back to the stalls so he can eat or whatever. I, I don't look at Butterbean and say, Butterbean, here's the vision for my marriage. And this is, this is my wife, Kinsey, and I'd like you to be a part of this, Butterbean. So, Butterbean, this is where you fit in the vision. I didn't do that, right? And so, this is why we, uh, I love that he says that. Hey, guys, please don't be like Butterbean. Don't be like the horse or the mule. That, that horse doesn't have a vision for his life. You know what he's excited about? Oat bag. That's what Butterbean loves, oat bag. I just want to eat out of the oat bag. Please, guys, right? And so uh, this is always um, a point of um, um, interest for me because I, I think, and this is the last thing I'll say, I think if you ask most, most men who are married, I think if you went up to him and said, hey, what's the vision for your marriage? What's the vision for your marriage? Um, and this is, I think, in the church and outside of the church. I think most men have, have bought the lie, and I, I can't stand this. They've bought the lie, the vision for my marriage is happy wife, happy life. And I hope that, I hope that gets under your skin as much as it does me. That, 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 <laughs> that there are men in the church and outside of the church that when, if you were to ask them, what's the vision for your marriage, literally they'd say, to not piss off my wife. That's the vision for my marriage, right? Or to just not screw this thing up too bad. Honestly, some people would say, what's the vision for your marriage? To stay married. That is a terrible vision. What a waste. What a waste, you know? Um, or, or the same thing with the way we parent. What's the vision for your, for your kids? Uh, that no one ends up pregnant and that no one ends up in jail. What a waste, right? Uh, we've got to be men of vision in our homes, you know? Uh, we've got to be men of vision with our finances. We've got to be men of vision with our kids, with our jobs, with our friends, with this church, right? I, I, I can't stand it, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the standard for men in church has been you show up and you sit on the pew, you don't say anything, and if you're really super Christian, you give a little bit of money. That, so many men would tell you that's the vision. That's how they fit into their church. What a waste, man. What a waste. And so I'm not picking on the guys. I'm just a guy. You may have noticed. And so I can speak into these things because I've experienced them. But the same thing's true of women. You know, what's our vision as a mom, as a wife? What's your vision? You know, at our house, and we just, we just did it recently. We're not super Christians. I don't use this as a good example very often. Uh, but at our house, we have a, a McLennan mission statement. We really do. That we want our girls, their entire lives, that when we say, hey, what's the vision for our family? 
I'm hoping, they can't say it yet, but the idea is that they'll, they'll look at you and say, this is a, and I'll, I'll share it with you. The McLennan vision statement is we want our name to be feared at the gates of hell. That's our mission statement. May our family name be feared at the gates of hell. We want to be so much about the kingdom of God that, that when the McLennan name comes up, Satan and his cronies go, oh, crap. These, this is not easy. And, and then we even have, uh, we've written our name in an acrostic, and it has a bunch of core values, so that when you'd ask our kids, hey, what's, what are you, what's the, your family ab- about? And each one has a, has a thing. You know, m- we want to be about mercy. We want to be about caring for others. We want to be about loving unconditionally. Uh, we want to be about encouraging. We want to never be negative, and it describes each one's. Uh, we want to be authentic. We never want to be something that we're not. That's the A. Um, and then at the end, the last N is we want to be noble. We want our girls to know who they are in Christ. That's what it means to be noble, is to know who, you, who your family is. And that spells out McLennan, right? And it's a work in progress. I think it's okay. But man, this, I encourage you, this is the vision for our family. You know, we have core values. Some people will do stuff like that. Some people do different things. There's a thousand ways to do it. But please, this is the last thing I'll say. Please don't be like the horse or the mule that just it has to be kicked along. That, 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 that if it's not kicked along, you know what it does? It just stops and puts its head down and just eats. Right? That we'd be people of vision, of understanding, that we would be responsive in our hearts, and that when the Lord whispers to us individually and as a church, that we'd look and we'd say, okay, I understand. We'll do it, Lord. We'll do it. Uh, that's it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for tonight or this morning, whatever time it is. Uh, God, thank you um, for the people here. Lord, thank you that you, your, your interest in us is not a pack mule. God, that your interest in us is not for what we do for you. That you're not interested in just kicking us and forcing us to do things. God, I pray that you're, or I thank you that you're after our hearts and that you're after a real relationship, that we're actually in fellowship with one another. And so, God, we just ask, we pray on our half. God, help us to listen. Help us to hear you and help us to listen. We know you're speaking. We know you're speaking. God, I pray we'd, we'd slow down, that maybe some of us need to shut up. Like we need to stop talking and we need to just listen to you lord and so god and and i pray that when we hear you we would just act on it we'd say okay i understand i see the vision and we just say yes we just say yes and so this is our prayer uh, lord give us the give us just the faith just to say yes that's it um, that's our prayer amen